As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Late night Midnight on the interstate I didn't feel so great until I saw the city. Welcome back to Straight from the Source, Michael Russo. Now is the time to definitely subscribe to The Athletic, by the way. Theathletic.com slash straight from the source will get you in for 50% off. Opening night is Friday in Anaheim. And uh, back front end of back-to-back games, the Wild play the LA Kings. So if you want to read uh, all our coverage, not just of uh, the Minnesota Wild, but all your favorite teams throughout the league, uh, throughout all of uh, pro sports, we got 600 uh, play- people on staff at The Athletic. Now is the time to get in and, uh, and read all the stuff and do a lot of catching up for all the stuff you missed in training camp. Again, theathletic.com slash straight from the sports. My guest today, Dan Myers, wild.com. Dan Myers. Um, we just both, Dan, came back from uh, Duluth where the Wild had a team bonding trip. They jumped in Lake Superior. They had 20 guys in a sauna, which I don't know if that sounds uh, like something that would be a... Uh, I guess it would be a good bonding experience. Yeah, Definitely a team building experience. It doesn't sound enjoyable to <laughs> no, me at it doesn't. all. But personally. it's probably better than when uh, Miko Koivu took everybody to Sauna Island in Helsinki and they spent an entire day on uh, like a bunch of naked dudes out in, uh, <laughs> on Sauna Island. Sauna Island. That's, that's the name of it. Google it. Well, I'm you, the Finns all love their saunas. Like they have saunas there. Like we yep. have bathrooms here. Yep. So it's well, the, just, the Lake Superior thing. By the way, that doesn't sound appealing either. I had jumping uh, in. Lake my, well, my wife and I went uh, and took some pictures. Actually, we just celebrated our 12th anniversary the other night. So we went Congrats. up and took some pictures. Thank you very much. Some pictures because we both love the North Shore. We took some along the beach, and I just took some Lake Superior water to kind of wet my hair down in between photo sessions. And it's cold. Like, <laughs> it's cold. Just dipping my hands in the water was cold. I can't imagine jumping in 
probably right out of a sauna. I'd be jumping right into the sauna after that lake because that is a that's that's a cold lake in July. Much yeah. less you know you get into the middle of October. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, Labor Day uh, four years ago when I left the Star Tribune and, and went up uh, and took the job at the Athletic, I went up to uh, Eric Stolhansky's cabin and his wonderful wife uh, Barbara, and they live right off Lake Superior, north of uh, Duluth, and it is like I mean they, their place. It, we're talking right on Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you can even have that anymore. And, um, and I mean, the sound of the way it is, it is like the most relaxing place in the world. And just walking around Lake Superior on Canal Park this past week and just, you know, just sort of being there, there's just this tranquility to it. So I can see where the wild enjoyed it, being in these cottages right on the lake and all that stuff. But the jumping into the lake thing. No, thank you. Right before hockey season. <laughs> I can't imagine jumping into like a normal sized lake right yeah. now in October, much less the biggest like freshwater lake in certainly in this yeah. hemisphere, I'd, I'd say, but. I was walking Teachers around lakes, like that lake too, but that canal park here. And mm-hmm. some of those hotels actually have like outdoor saunas there. I mean, it's indoor saunas, but it's like these huts, like essentially right on the water. Yep. And it's pretty, uh, pretty neat. They got the, uh, you know, it's basically like you're on stage there though. Yeah, I, I love Duluth. Duluth is just a fantastic place year round, but especially this time of year. And you saw driving up the North shore, the fall colors. I thought, you know, going up Beautiful. there that we were maybe going to be a week or two late. We were right on time. Yeah. The, uh, the fall colors up there right now, if you get a chance and you're listening to this to get up there in the next couple of days, uh, take advantage of it because yeah. it is absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I went to a golf course a little south of Duluth called uh, Grandview mm-hmm. and um, same thing. I mean, my God, the the leaves, like it, the scenery, it's hard to even pay attention to like what you're doing. And you're not a big outdoorsy kind of guy, but even no. you enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. So that's how you know it's good. It was a two cigar day for me. Are you going to be, uh, you'll be just basically moving in at Stolhansky's place once you retire, right? That'll Pretty be kind of your that's, that's uh, the goal. nice quiet place to relax. <laughs> that's, that's you'll the still goal. find a way to get stressed. Well, when up. I went up there four years ago, it was a perfect time there. Like I was, I was, uh, you know, I, a lot of anxiety you leaving, were, yeah. leaving the leaving the job and so they invited me up like oh why don't you come up here and uh, and and just kind of chillax decompress and, uh, a little bit yeah yeah hung out with their dog coco love did you, coco did you jump in the lake and did you I go did in not. the sauna i did not but i hung out and listen and we were right on the water and it was just an awesome awesome experience uh, it sounds like an ocean i know marcus felino yeah. yesterday said it looked like an ocean but it when is. you when you get those waves rolling on the lake and they crash up you know you 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 grew up uh, on an ocean or next to an ocean yep it looks and sounds like an ocean once those waves get going. It is it is just one of those perfect times of year to crack the window at night and just let the let the waves crash in. It's it, it is very and, peaceful and relaxing. And it was interesting listening to the the guys because this is stuff that's like you almost you know you take it for granted that well last year was such a weird year for them where they were traveling and they had these strict protocols and they weren't allowed to have team dinners. And you're like, all right, well, you know, that actually is a great way to bond because all they're doing is hanging out together at the hotel. But they had these strict protocols where a lot of times they weren't even allowed to hang out in a lounge. They had to go eat in their, in their, in their, um, you know, in their room. And either way, I mean, an experience like this, when you're hanging out and, you know, as Marcus said, telling stories by the campfire and things like that, you have the golf outing where there's, you know, players versus staff. And there was a lot of, uh, 
uh, trash talking there as the players beat the staff, apparently. Um, Six to that, five, I think, yeah. was the score on that. And that is the absolute, that is the way to for teams to come close. And, you know, I'm doing this season preview on Friday, and that's one thing that Marcus Foligno really talks a lot about in this story is that close teams win Stanley Cups. Yep. And you want to do that. And that is clearly what Bill Guerin has tried to do the last couple of years is change everything about this team, not just on the ice, but the culture inside that locker room and make it more of a welcoming place and hand the keys over to, you know, the guys that have invested to being here forever, the Erickson X and the Spurgeons and the Felinos and the and the uh, Brodines and those players, but also some of these young guys that can come in there and feel like this is their team and they could speak up if they feel like speaking up. Well, I know, you know, we, uh, we were both kind of subjected to Zoom calls last year, but we'd been in that dressing room for enough years beforehand to kind of, I think, guess at, at just how the, the tone and tenor of it was in there. Um, and, and I can't speak for you. Maybe you'll agree with this. Maybe you'll disagree with it. But just being around it again this year and being back in there, there is a different feel around this group. I think there's a looser feel. There's You can sense... As the, Spurgeon says, there's an energy. There's an energy and there's a different vibe. And it's, again, this, this isn't uh, meant as a cheap shot at 11 and 20. And, you know, you know, they're leaders, they're veterans, but you can tell that there's just a difference in how the current leadership core leads. There's a different vibe to it. There's a younger vibe to it. And I'm, I'm the same exact age as, as Suter and Parisi. I mean, my birthday's right in the middle of both of them. And so I, I see how they lead because it's, you know, we come obviously very different backgrounds, but we come at it from kind of a similar age perspective. And you see how guys like Felino, but specifically Dumba and Brodine and Erickson Eck, these, these younger kids just have a different leadership style. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's permeated uh, really throughout the whole room. And it'll be kind of an interesting dynamic to see grow here as the season gets going. Yeah, um, no doubt about that. And it, it's, you know, the one thing I will say to when we, you always talk like we always talk stuff like this is that they haven't lost a game yet. Right. So that energy could disappear. That's in very two true. Days. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just the way it is. Yep. Everything's loose in training camp. The th- the key now for them is to get out of vacation mode. And that is what Marcus Foligno talked about after practice yesterday is that they, the entire league is playing right now. Yep. The wild still don't play till Friday. And so while, you know, they, uh, they, you know, not, no team had a bonding trip yesterday. The wild did the last two that days. That was strange, and, yeah. you know, coming home from, you know, you came home yesterday as well. This is being recorded here on Wednesday, Wednesday today. Yep. Gosh, and my days are all turned around, but, you know, it was strange coming back yesterday from Duluth and then a couple hours later turning on the TV yeah. and, oh, well, here's a regular season game. We're going to watch the yeah. banner unveiling and, uh, you know, watch Seattle drop the puck on its its first season. And it is strange, you know, sitting here, gosh, having to think about, gosh, what day is it? You know, is it Wednesday? And, oh, we're flying to California tomorrow. And then the season gets started and it's back-to-back games. Yeah. And then um, it, that is going to be a challenge, I think, for this team is, you know, I, I – can't Dial speak for sure. I wasn't. I wasn't at the actual bonding trip, but I imagine mm-hmm. a few uh, cold beverages were consumed uh, by at least a few of the guys yeah. on the team, and well, they and certainly <laughs> sweated it out yesterday. But day off today, uh, you know, they're going to have to work to really get into that game yeah. mode, like you said. And even yesterday's practice was not really a like that was not no that structure. Was, yeah, no, there was, was no structure, and tomorrow is going to be a quick tr- a quick practice. So they and haven't a had a fight. so they yeah. haven't had a real quality practice before from from Sunday to Friday. 
Yeah, and, and it's and back-to-back games this weekend. Exact. So and, it's, and it's going to be a challenge. And they're playing a team in Anaheim that's already going to have a game under their belt. So the Wild are going to have to quickly wake up on well, uh, a Friday team, and realize. A team in Los Angeles, too, that's you know a big, heavy team that's yep. a very structured team. It's, it's going to be a difficult yeah. road trip. It's going to be one of those things where I think if you can go out and find a way to get two points here on, on this road trip, that'd be a, a solid start before coming home. And playing a Winnipeg team that... It, we haven't seen in quite a while. It'll be fun to see the Winnipeg Jets again because uh, a very skilled team, very talented team, and one of those rivals that it'll be really fun. Yeah. It was fun seeing them play Chicago again. It, it was so strange seeing that Blackhawks jersey you know, back in XL Energy Center and going back to the United Center last week. It's one of my favorite buildings. Blackhawks are going to be an interesting team, Dan. Uh, a lot of I got a lot of questions on Twitter asking us for our central look, and and it is. I really I mean, like first of all, team. we're going to see Winnipeg and. Shifley, by the way, perfect timing. His suspension will be off the ho- off the book. He'll be ready to go. Um, but the Funny Chicago, how that works. yeah, I know. But Chicago, I mean, you look at that team. I mean, they got Taves back, who against the Wild looked like Jonathan Taves. We know yep. Patrick Kane. We know uh, DeBrinket. He's probably gonna have a big year. Tyler Johnson's there. They reinvented their blue line. They got the Vesna Trophy winner from last year. Um, this Chicago team is is a team that can really make some noise. I'll say this, and I I hate to admit it because he's on your fantasy hockey team but I, I do people really know a lot about Alex Dabrinkit because I think he's really underappreciated I didn't realize this last year he finished third in the league in goals yeah last year you know on a team that was what middle of the pack I think in a very hard division but you know watching that first line at the United Center the other night with Dabrinkit Kane and and Tyler Johnson size is not uh, their strength got, but there is yeah. a ton of speed a ton of skill and Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit looked like they were in midseason form just in terms of their chemistry and being able to find yeah. each other on the ice. Tyler Johnson, you know, has a chance, I think, to have a kind of a career resurgence if they, if that line Playing sticks together. Two, yeah. Well, and then that pushes Jonathan Taves down to the second line. That pushes Kirby Doc, Doc down to the third line. And yeah. all of a sudden, that's a team down the middle. You know, teams are championship teams are built down the middle. You got the Vesna Trophy winner back there. Um, you know, a blue line that's young and improving and is very different looking than it was, you know, from the, mm-hmm. the dynasty years of yesteryear. Uh, I love what Chicago did in the offseason. Uh, I think they're going to be a, a really good team. I, I think in terms of the central Colorado, I think we agree is the clear favorite. Uh, Arizona is probably the clear bottom team. I, I think Nashville's kind of on that bottom team, but Chicago, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Dallas, St. Louis, you, you could almost draw any of these teams out of a hat and you make don't. a case for them to finish in those two, three spots. And you'd think with the way the Pacific is, there's a good chance that we'll see two wild cards out of the central. As I well. agree with you there. I mean, you got to think Vegas is a guarantee, obviously in that division, it's going to be interesting to see Edmonton. You, you know, you got one, two there Smith coming off a great, great year. Um, and, and do they have the depth now in Edmonton that could help lead them and, and complement the dry idols and the, in the McDavid's. But from although, there, Nova's, got, although Nova's Evan Bouchard on the blue line yeah. back there. We like that. Yep. No doubt. Um, um, but then you got Calgary, uh, Markstrom, I got to think is going to bounce back a bit. You got Vancouver, who's, you know, who's, I mean, Besser I see is practicing today. And um, Ekman Larson to right, that And line. Demko is a rising star in net. Yep. Um, Anaheim and San Jose might struggle off the hop this year, but they're going to eventually be, uh, you know, at least Anaheim, I think are going to build themselves up. LA is the interesting team because they're in this like rebuild mode, but then they go out and they add guys like, you know, Deneau and uh, Arvidsson. And so it's, they're not just rebuild. 
building. I like Arvidsson. Yeah. And it, it was too bad to see what happened to Quinton Byfield you yeah. know, in the preseason because you want to talk about teams down the middle with Kopitar, Deneau, Byfield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have a, a glut of centers. And I'm with you on Anaheim. I think they're going to struggle early in the year. But a lot of young talent in Anaheim, too. It'll be interesting to see. That I think, you know, when you want to talk about the Jack Eichel sweepstakes and how that progresses, it'll be an interesting storyline to follow early in the year. Anaheim seems like one of those teams that if they want to make a move, they may be the best positioned of all of them because they have the cap space. They have a number of high-end prospects that I'm sure Buffalo would be interested in. That seems like a prime destination. You know, what kind of procedure Eichel ends up having, how quickly he can get back. Anaheim is a team, I think, uh, like you said, may struggle early, but one way or another, they're going to be a team that's going to be a lot better, I think, the second half of the year than they are right now. And I don't know, I think Bob Murray's contract situation in flux, so he could be in that like, all right, I got to make a big, bold move. And and you're right. I mean, they've got so many prospects there where I just don't know if LA works. And, you know, Vegas, I think Peyton Krebs would have to be in the deal if it was Vegas, because they obviously need help up the middle, but I don't know how you make the financials work there well you'd have to look at probably what riley smith's in a contract year uh he's making what five million or mm-hmm. so but i mean like you said that's riley smith is isn't going to move the needle much i, yeah, wouldn't think, I mean from yeah, a you just re- you know you have stone there. and patch ready they're signed forever there uh, you know i just don't know how you make the, the you know petrangelo Some, obviously somehow mike they always, they always find a way to, yeah. to wiggle in and, and make these moves. Yeah. So you, it's one of those teams with Kelly McCrimmon, you can never count out Vegas yeah. because yeah. he somehow works that magic and they yeah. find a way in. If you'd have told me a couple of years ago, they'd have been the destination for Petrangelo yeah. in, in free agency. I would have said no yeah. way. But Calgary is another team that's going to be interesting because Goudreau is also in a contract year and I don't know if they're going to bring him back. And, and so, you know, maybe you make the move there because they want to get better up the middle. It'll be interesting. The one team that we could assume is still out is, is Minnesota. Um, you, you know, and, and frankly, after watching them in training camp and seeing how good some of these kids can be, Boldy, Beckman, um, Rossi, and then the kids coming, the Huznadinovs, and some of these kids in college too are, are really good. Yeah, that you have to wonder me- if that played a factor in, you know, because I know going into camp, the, the belief was that Minnesota is probably still on the periphery of it. Right. But, you know, I think you'd reported that Minnesota's out now. Yes. And you have to wonder if getting a look at these guys in camp and assuming you'd have to, you know, include a, you know, a Boley or a Rossi along with some picks and established players that yep. make a lot of money. You know, is the juice worth the squeeze at that point when you look at, okay, well, Adam Beckman is, you know, maybe a little closer than we thought. Matt Boldy is a little closer than maybe we thought. Marco Rossi looks like a guy that could contribute at some point this year. Who's Nadinov? I mean, gosh, it's a nightly highlight reel, it seems, on Twitter every time, you know, maybe you look at that and you reevaluate and you go, well, Eichel's not going to be a factor for most of this season anyway. Maybe you want to hang on to that depth to see what happens because, as we know, starting next year and especially two and three years from now, they're going to need some of that cheap young talent to be big parts of this core. And, and that to me is the biggest risk in, in getting Eichel too, is that you're, you're trading all, like, let's just say this year's a wash. Now he's got four years left on your deal and you're going to trade multiple first round picks and top prospects and get rid of eight, nine million dollars worth of salary and probably another trade, then what do you have? And you only have them for four years and you're just trading a couple 20 year old. Like it just makes very little sense to me well, on how and, that makes and sense. The other thing too, that I think you have to remember is, you know, is this team 
one Jack Eichel away from being a Stanley Cup mm-hmm. contender. Well, not if you get rid of everybody else. Too. No, and that's that's the thing. <laughs> like if you could, you know, if you if the salary were a little different on this team, if they were structured differently, if you didn't have to worry about you know twelve to fourteen million dollars the next three years. If you had more room right now where you could bring in Eichel and still keep Kaprizov, Fiala, uh, you know, obviously you're not moving Kaprizov for him, but keep a Fiala and a Dumba and, and all this other talent around, mm-hmm. I think it may be different. If you were just moving only futures, if you had that flexibility like in Anaheim, um, but you're not. And yeah. you just, you're going to be playing essentially kind of with one hand tied behind your back from a salary perspective. As we've said, you need the the Beckmans and the Boldies and the Rossies and the Husnadinas. You need those guys to not only be players on this team, but to be impactful players two and three years from now mm-hmm. if you want to be a contender. And I think they can be. And, uh, you know, the Wild certainly needs them to be if they want to get to where they're going. And and the other thing with there is, too, is that you are getting a guy that needs to have surgery. So it's not even that you're, if you count this year as a wash, you don't know what he's going to return like. I mean, he's going to be off the ice for a long time. Is he the same player? Does, you know, I don't want to say damaged goods because Jack Eichel is an all-world player, but you you get what I'm saying. Yep. It's a huge risk. And and again, it'd be different if you could throw the Fialas into the trade. But but I, if you're Buffalo, why you, you know, as good a player as Fiala is, Fiala's got one year left on his deal and then another year before UFA. Why would Kevin Fiala re-sign in Buffalo? Not not just that they're they've been a perennial loser, but but the way they're treating a player right now, like I don't think they're going to be a destination. Not that they were a destination before, but I can't imagine they're going to be a big destination now for any NHL free agent for a long time. The way that Jack Eichel has been treated here, so same thing. It's like you know we always say it's got to be. We're assuming. And when I say where, I'm mostly talking me because Dan obviously, uh, you know, works for the team and things like that. But I've always assumed now when you look at the wild salary structure that when they make trades here to free up money in the next couple of years, it's going to have to be Dumb, Greenway and or Fiala, you know, probably two or three of those guys. And that's not going to happen in that trade. And and so now you're putting them in another trade. It just it makes no sense. Um, and again, the re- what I'm saying is that Buffalo just I can't imagine they're going to want somebody without a lot of term left in a deal that has a lot of money because they've got to make sure that they're going to resign that player if you're giving up an asset like Eichel. Well, I agree with your with the names you toss out. I think are the logical ones, but you know a big part of that for the Wild is going to be. How does Adam Beckman turn out? How mm-hmm. does Marco Rossi? How does Matt Boldy? How do all these guys turn out? Because, you know, you, you hope, and they certainly look like Beckman and Boldy, for example, two left wingers look like they're going to be very good young players, but there isn't a spot for them right now. So, I mean, not only are you going to have to bring them up, you're going to have to free up spots. And so I think those are the logical contenders, but you're, yeah. you're spot on and it'll be... Uh, Certainly interesting to see how this all turns out. I think, you know, some of the long-term ramifications with Eichel and, and like you said, with just how they're choosing to do business. And that's their choice. That's yep. that's their option. But, you know, when you, you think about Buffalo, um, not nothing against the city of Buffalo. I, I, you know, I enjoy the city of Buffalo when we're there. The, the one or two days a year we're there, it's fine. Not a destination place like a Southern California or New York City or Chicago, a place like that. You know, they struggle, I think, enough just to get headliner free agents. But then when you see how they're treating, you know, maybe their biggest star they've had there in, in a long, yeah. long time, that's not going to help. And absolutely. And players are starting to talk about it. We saw Robin Leonard in, in probably a way that he now regrets doing it, but publicly uh, create putting this message out 
a week ago about the way that they're treating Jack Eichel. I had Marcus Flynn on my podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, who and he is respects Eichel really well. Also says that the perception that he's a bad guy is is absolutely misreported as well. I don't know Eichel really at all, but that's from a former teammate of his and somebody that respects. And I think we could all agree that if Marcus Flynn likes you, he probably means that he, you're a good dude because Correct. Marcus, uh, Marcus Pretty good is, judge of character. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, that that'll be interesting and. And to get back to the money issue with the Wild, and the reason why I bring those three guys out of the hat is that, look, the Wild have $15.5 million worth of cap space going into next season. And, you know, with the first rear of the real big dead money of Parisi and Suter, and yet Goligoski is going to probably get extended. Fiala's got one year left on his deal. Greenway's got one year left on his deal. Kakin's got one year left on his deal. Nico Sturm is a pending unrestricted free agent. Those pegs don't all fit, and yep. so th- those guys. We we know that at a couple of those guys are probably Did you moving mentioned Talbot in that list. Um, no, Talbot Tal- at least got one year. Yeah, left. He's got one year yeah, left. Yeah. I mean, but I mean that decision is coming yeah. down Faster, the pipe, yeah. and and the number one goalie, and, and you know, I think clearly they hope Jesper Wallstead's the number one guy. I think for the future, but is he going to be the number one guy in two years? No. He certainly can't count on that. Yeah. He could be here and, and yep. be a part of the, the equation and the solution, but number one goalies don't yep. come cheap. And that's going to be something this team's going to have to worry about two years from now. Absolutely. Uh, let's take a quick break and I'll be back right back with Dan Myers. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Dan, um, let's talk about uh, this team a little bit. Uh, first line, Erickson Eck playing with Kaprizov and Zuccarello. Um I went into training camp uh, excited to see what that looked like, um, but had my doubts on whether or not he would fit just based on the type of player he is, not exactly a playmaker or all that stuff. And and also wondered, you know, how long would Dean Evison uh, go before he says, you know, I'm going to go back to the comfort of knowing that Felino and Greenway and Eric Snack were so good the last year and year and a half. Um, but so far in camp, they, and by the way, Dean has also echoed that where Dean said that he was curious to see if Eric Snack was going to change his uh, way that he's played it. So far, we haven't seen it. Training camp's training camp. Exhibition games are exhibition games. Well, the proof will be in the pudding once the regular season begins. But right now, it does look like Erickson Eck has not changed the way that he has played on that line, which I think is the most important thing. If Erickson Eck started to be on that line and said, I got to give Carell the puck every second, I got to give Zuccarello, or you know, I'm as talented as Kirill and Zook. I can make all sorts of fancy plays and start to change what is his bread and butter, which is driving the net, net front, going to the dirty areas, being an absolute ass to play against. Um, you know, that would be a problem if he had changed that. But we have seen him play the same style and complement those two now. Do you think that it will work in the regular season? And have you been even surprised that Erickson X so far looks like that will fit? One of my favorite developments so far of training camp has been the kind of the behind the scenes sniping at Erickson Eck from guys like Felino. now <laughs> that uh, Erickson Eck has signed his long-term contract, making fun of his haircut, uh, as you said, kind of being an ass to play against. I was intrigued going into 
camp because I was wondering kind of the same thing. Is he going to change his style of play, try to become more of a playmaker, more of a distributor, which is something we haven't really seen from him. I'm sure he has that in his game. I mean, he was, he was a very talented player coming out of Sweden. He's a first round draft pick. He's posted points. He had a great year last year. And then I kind of wondered, well, how is, if he doesn't change his game, how is that going to mesh with the playmaking chemistry that Zuccarello and Kaprizov have? And it actually, now that I've seen it, and again, it's preseason, it's practice. But now that I've seen it, it actually works really well. I think Dean Evison mentioned to me, it was last week, Eriksson-X's tendency is to go right to the front of the net, which is good because it, you know, he can provide a little bit of a screen. He can provide some traffic in front, but what it also does is it actually opens up more ice, you know, on top of the face off circles, uh, you know, between the hash marks and the blue line, it opens up more ice for guys like Kaprizov and Zuccarello to sort of work their magic and, and move the puck a little bit more and involve the defenseman a little bit more. And it works out really, really well. I'll be interested to see if that trend continues and a big part of that equation, too, is like you said, that Erickson Eck Felino Greenway line worked out so well last year. Where we're going to see a dip going from Erickson Eck to Hartman and preseason and training camp so far, Hartman looks like a natural mm-hmm. in that spot. Um, and I think they have options beyond Hartman if if he were to get hurt or if there was an effectiveness. I think Nico Sturm would be a guy that could Easily. very naturally move up and play sort of that Erickson type role. Or so, Freddie Goudreau. Or I mean, Freddie Goudreau. Nico up to the Fiala for that yeah. I, I One of the things I would really like to see at some point this season, I don't know if we will, is I'd like to see a little more run from Nico Sturm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really impressed with the way he played last year. I thought he took advantage of uh, you know the limited opportunities that he had. He, I, I don't remember... What do you have? 10 goals or 11, 11 goals and 10 and a half minutes I mean, of ice time. Yeah, game. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty darn good. Now, is he going to go score 30 goals being in a top six role? No. Does he belong in a top six role? No. But I think if he were to play second or third line minutes in a pinch, he could be a guy that could score 15 to 20 goals for this team. But going back to the initial question, uh, Eric Sinek providing some of that grit, uh, the ability to maybe provide a screen, bang home a rebound. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see how Zuccarello um, finds a way to get him involved in front of the net. Because you know Zuccarello with the way he sees the game and the way he's able to get the puck to Kaprizov. He has something in mind in how he wants to get Eric Sinek involved. And I think he could be sitting on a really and, good year. And, and, exactly. And and that is that is what I, I hope from Kirill and, and Zuccarello is it can't be a two-man game and just have Eric Sinek go to the net. Um, because... Erickson X scored 19 goals in 50 something games last year. And it wasn't just scoring no off rebounds. And yeah, and it wasn't just scoring off rebounds and deflections. He, he was sniping pucks. Yep. And so he deserves that ability. And hopefully he remembers that he could take that shot too. You don't always have to pass it off. And that is going to be the biggest uh, thing. But I loved like that one preseason game where um, they let, I, I can't remember who made the head man pass out, but all of a sudden Zuccarello and Kaprizov wound up in the right corner of the rink at home, digging the puck out and the puck wound up out on Jonas Bordin's stick off a great pass by Kaprizov. And where was Eric Sinek? Just at the net. And then I wound up rewinding the replay and when those guys flew into the zone to go get the puck, Eric Sinek beelined to the net. Yep. So that is exactly what they want from him. Um, but I but, think Eric Sinek's speed in between mm-hmm. those two as well is going to offer more 
opportunities off the rush mm-hmm. maybe for that group than if you had a guy like Victor Rask in there who, uh, with all due respect to his game, you know, speed isn't really mm-hmm. his M.O. Um, you know, he, he can, uh, you know, play with the puck a little bit, but Eric Sinek is one of the faster guys on this team. And I think having that speed, yep. it could really help push the pace for those two. With him. Speak, speaking of speed, uh, Rem Pitlick, um, I was talking to Rem yesterday at, uh, at, um, in the, in the bottom of, uh, Amsoil arena and, um, you know, super nice guy, um, and he is in a position where I think he can make an impact on this team. I don't think he's going to be in the opening night lineup. I, I think that, you know, Dean has has pointed out that it is really tough for this kid. He's claimed off waivers. He's literally one practice. Then they go to Chicago, play the game. You know, he's all the system work thrown at him. And then what happens the next day, they get back on Sunday and Victor Rask is back on that line. And so you wonder if they're just putting Victor there. You know, you're the veteran. You're playing opening night. Yep. Rem... Hold, you know, bide your time for a little bit. Maybe you play him in the second of a back-to-back. You know, mm-hmm. you just mentioned Victor's legs. Maybe that's a way to really run these two is is for now, you know, you play Victor on the one game, but, you know, second of a back-to-back where he might not be as effective. You throw Rem in there to debut, uh, make his wild debut on, on Saturday night in L.A., and then maybe Rem could get some traction and wind up in the lineup. Um, the other option is Brandon Duhay made the team. Maybe you play Brandon against rugged guys and maybe against rugged teams like L.A., but maybe more skilled teams. That's when you throw Rem Pitlick in there because I think Rem, they, they, they got him to play him. The question is, where is it going to be? Um, I, th- I still think that Rem Pitlick could be a lifeline in a lot of ways for Kevin Fiala, who needs a skilled guy in that line. I yep. mean, Victor is skilled, but sometimes he can't keep up or he's not ready for that pass that Kevin, because he flies so so far into the zone. And Freddie right now, so far, doesn't has not shown to me that he's got any offensive ability whatsoever. <laughs> he has five regular season goals since he scored three in the Stanley Cup final in 2017. So th- th- And he's just being handed the ability to play with Kevin Fiala in power play time. So, you know, I think that Rem could be somebody that could help complement Kevin because he could keep up with Kevin. And that speed and that skill could help Kevin. It'll be interesting to see if they go with that route at some point. Well, and you know, I mean, skill players like Kevin Fiala see the game a certain way. And if you're not as skilled as a guy like Kevin Fiala, and there aren't very many guys on this team that are, you see the game and you play the game very differently. Rem Pitlick is certainly not as established as Kevin Fiala, but he's an offensive guy and you'd think he sees the game and plays the game the same way Fiala does. And just watching Kevin Fiala in the preseason, I don't know if you've noticed this, he's playing pissed right now. Like yeah. he, he, it is so Bill obvious. Guerin, Bill Guerin said when they signed him to the one-year deal that he, that he hopes that he you know, comes in and is motivated and, and kind of proves him wrong. And I, th- I think Kevin Fiala is doing that right now. He's been really, really impressive in all facets. I mean, he's been killing penalties and stuff in the preseason. He's actually looked really good killing penalties. He had a really active stick uh, the other night in Chicago, for example. Like I, I was kind of one of the few moments where I was really paying close attention after the, about the midway point of the game where I think everyone stopped paying attention. But um, he looks like he could be sitting on a really, really good year. And if they can find someone, whether it's Rask, whether it's Gaudreau, whether it's Pitlick, whether it's Duhaim, uh, eventually whether it's Beckman or Boldy or Rossi to kind of compliment him and, and find a way to just get the puck to him in scoring areas, uh, he looks like a guy that is certainly motivated. And that's, that's what 
Billy Garen wanted when when they agreed to that one year extension here over the summer. A hundred percent. And uh, you know, I, I do hope that he's not overall pissed because even off the ice at times, like yesterday off the ice, just well, he didn't seem very happy when he was just walking around the bowels of Amsoil Arena. He's one of those and guys it, that he walks a very uh, distinct line. And yeah. Dean Evison has said this in the past. Like you need him to play on that edge. Yeah. Uh, he's at his best when he's playing on that edge, but he's also gotten himself into trouble when he goes a half step too far. And we saw it, uh, was it last year where he, he got the three game suspension uh, for the hit from behind where yeah. he just, he took a half step too far yeah. and then he was out yeah. for three games yeah. or, you know, if he takes a half step too far, yeah. you know, in an offensive fashion, he maybe turns the puck over and it's a two on one and ends yeah. up going the yeah. other way. So he and, has to and, play that yeah. line very carefully. And that line, I think, has a tendency to be crossed in large part because I think he sometimes feels like he has to do everything alone on his on his line. And um, he's coming off a frustrated playoff series where he had tons of chances, but not a lot of production. Obviously, I you know, I preface that, um, you know, the caveat to that is game six. He was outstanding and got them to a game seven, yep. essentially. But he. He, tons of chances like he should have you know he should have had 10 goals in the playoff series he, he just wound up producing in game six and what a little concerning to me is that we're seeing that again now in the preseason where he's getting these chances and chances and you're like wow this is great but then at the end of the night you're looking and you're like well he didn't score he, and he only created in this situation you know and and not with even strength with his line mates. So that's going to be something to pay attention to this year because, um, because as we know, Zuccarello and Kaprizov are not leaving each other's side. So who is going to be, um, you know, on that left side, the other option to me, the other thing to me that's going to be curious to watch is how it does feel like Freddie Gujo has just been not penciled in, penned into that line. He started there he hasn't left there, despite the fact that that he hasn't produced yet. Now he might. Uh, we haven't seen the best of him, I'm sure. Um, but you know, when do you make that maybe move? Do you you know putting a Nico Sturm there, or or calling up a Rossi, or or something to give or this guy? Maybe a, you, know, you put Victor Rask there. Yeah, or, the or you're exactly right. Yep. You know, um, it, it's just going to be. Uh, Rem Pitlick has played center before. The, um, the interesting part for me with Fiala in terms of how the overall depth of this team is going to affect that is you know the Kaprizov line is going to get the attention of every opponent's top checking line. Right. And you would think that the Felino line, uh, you know, with Hartman and Greenway, Dean's going to try and deploy them against the other team's best offensive line, which now puts Kevin Fiala and whoever he's playing with in a position where he's probably going against another team's third or fourth line. Mm -hmm. So the chances are going to be there. He's going to get opportunities to score. It's going to be a matter of him walking that line and and finding guys, as we've said, we've listed all of them, finding guys that can play with him to help supplement some of those scoring chances and create those scoring chances. Because from a matchup standpoint, Kevin Fiala is going to get opportunities against lesser players. There's no question about that, I don't think. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of whether he can find a way to capitalize on these opportunities. And if he can, the Wild's going to be a much deeper team and a much better team because of it. Yeah. Um, let's go with blue line now. Um, Goligoski and Spurgeon look like they could be really good together. Uh, Goligoski, um, you know, uh, the Brian Suter replacement there plays the game a different way, though. Um, you know, he plays the game like in a faster way um, it, where Ryan, I, I've said this before, Ryan 
And I think he's a fabulous defenseman, but see, he sometimes almost dictates the pace of a hockey game yep. because he he slows things down. He's almost like that quarterback that drops back into the pocket. Very you know? methodical. Yeah, methodical. And the Wild want to play fast, fast, fast. Um, and because he used to get 30 minutes a night, it really dictated a lot of the way the style uh, of the team plays because even when he's not off the ice, you're sort of catching up on your next rotations, mm-hmm. right? Um, where Goligoski plays, um, you know, more of a, a fast style. Um, he, uh, Spurgeon says he's super easy to play with. Um, you know, offensively, I think that that I, I I think Ryan Suter makes one of the best first passes in the NHL. He can headman pucks. Um, you know, he he's got that type of vision. Goligoski is a bit of a different type of player, but he can move the puck. He's poised and he plays pretty robotic as well. I think it'll be that's another interesting one for me to watch over the course of the season. I think. With all due respect to the game Ryan Suter brings, and you just talked about it, I agree 100%. Uh, you know, a world-class defenseman in his own right, for sure. I think changing that up could be maybe the best thing that happens for Jared Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. I think he could just be, um, you know, those two have, have looked great. I, I think he could be, you know, sitting on a really nice year offensively. You think he'll probably get maybe a, a little more run on the power play than than he has in years past but a guy who you know for a long time was someone you could count on to score 10 to 13 goals from the back end Spurgeon and this was you know 3 4 years ago but I think he has that ability in him Golgoski's a guy who could probably score 10 goals mm-hmm. this year it's funny with Ryan Suter you could always count on you could you could probably pick what 7 to 8 goals and about 48 points. Yeah. Like that was what he did every single year and you could count on it. Um, but I think there were defensive areas of his game that were starting to manifest a little bit where I think Jared Spurgeon, especially the last year or two, has had to backtrack more and, and sort of cover up some of those some of those lapses. Why? I don't know. I think ever well, since he had speed, that, yeah. ever since he had that foot injury in Dallas, yeah. I mean, the foot speed has not been there. Uh, it's not to say he's not uh, still a very good player. He is. Um, but I think Spurgeon's had to cover up some of those, some of those uh, weaknesses the last couple of years, especially Alex Goligoski doesn't have that problem. He's uh, getting up and down the ice very easily. So I think Jared Spurgeon, without having to worry as much about that, we may see a guy that we saw, four or five years ago before we, you know, we saw some of those speed issues with Suter come up. Uh, Jonas Brodine is a guy who, who I'm really eager to watch this year. Was fantastic last year. It scored nine goals. I think that the Wild had always believed he had sort of this offensive ability, but had never tapped into it. And he was able to do that last year. And I'll be curious to see if he gets any more time on the power play uh, and, and how those offensive numbers, if he's able to build on those moving into this year. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dumba's the one I want to see too. Will he be yep. better? Uh, um, you know, I don't think he had a, uh, you know, I, I just, there were times last year where he was erratic, but good. And and I think he wants to be more of an offensive threat. Might be difficult if he's going to be on that second power play unit as opposed to the first. I'm always surprised that he's not the guy on that first one. We saw that from Matt Dumba that that 32 game stretch yeah. a couple of years ago. You know, in the in the pandemic yeah. shortened season where. You know, he was on a Norris type pace through 32 games. You're talking about a guy who was on pace to score like 35 goals. And that doesn't happen right. very often. A, a defenseman doing that. Now, was that pace unsustainable? Probably. No. But at the very least, he was looking to score 20 to 25 mm-hmm. goals. 
And so you that know was it's pre-pandemic, there. right? That yeah, was, the, that yeah, that was, was yeah. in December of 2019 yep, that he got yep, hurt, right? Yep. It seems like five years ago now. Yeah. But so we've seen it over not just a five or a 10 game stretch, but a 32 game stretch. And you know it's there and you you saw it almost coming in the years before that. And he just hasn't been able to recapture that for one reason or another, whether it was coming back in the bubble and still not being 100%. You know, you know, another weird off season, and then last year a shortened year. So it'll be interesting to see with an 82 game year, more of a still not a traditional off season, but more of a traditional off season. If he can be that guy that more closely resembles the guy who scored 12 goals in 32 games a yep, couple years ago, goals. and that was actually the year before the was pandemic, that the year? So 2018, yes, so December 2018. The, the, Everything is the all pandemic was short in Anaheim when I guaranteed to everybody that the that the NHL would never play in front of empty buildings. Yeah, well, that uh, I've told you this story, but I that, want that podcast that to be like removed Wednesday, from the athletic archives. That Wednesday, so the the world as we all know it shut down on a Wednesday night is when the NBA canceled its season the wild was scheduled to play the vegas golden knights that thursday at the x that game got canceled we practiced at tria that wednesday and kevin gorg and anthony lapanta and myself were there wednesday morning just and uh, just to interrupt you when dan says we remember he works for the team yes yeah like well no we i was practice. saying we I'm, we like us scribes we're all sitting there and oh, me okay. and gorg and lapanta were huddled and we were talking about this you know covid thing and oh it's starting to you know start rearing its ugly head and this is wednesday morning and and we're talking like gosh by the end of the month we might be playing in front of empty buildings that's what i'm hearing yeah by the end of the month well that night like 12 hours later the world is shutting down the next day we're, I did a- that wednesday i i it was insane i'll never forget this as long as i live especially being in the media and i'm sure you remember this how quickly the news cycle was moving that Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, it went from, you know, we're at 11 o'clock. Oh, by the, you know, 14 days from now, we might be playing in front of empty buildings to 12 hours later, the NBA is shutting down. Yeah. And by the next day, the whole, I did the whole a, sports world yeah, shut I did down. a podcast that night on my other podcast with Suhan over at a restaurant in, in Savage. And um, I think Savage and uh, Shockabee Savage area. Yep. And, uh, we wrap up the podcast and that's when the notification came out at like six or seven o'clock that the NBA had shut down. So I'm driving home and the phone rings and a player uh, called me who's no longer on this team. Um, I now, bet I know who it is. Yeah. Who now plays for the Islanders. Um, so, uh, you know, he called me. He's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I think that tomorrow you're not playing against the Vegas Golden Knights. He goes, yeah, I don't see how. Like, because you just knew that the NHL was going to follow suit with the NBA, right? The You know, everything that happened with uh, – who was the guy on the, on the Oklahoma Thunder? Or was it Utah Jazz? It was uh, 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 Gobert, Rudy Gobert, Gobert right? Yeah. I mean, the guy who was, like, touching everyone's yeah, digital and, and recorders. You, I mean, they had just played, like, three straight games in yep. NHL buildings. I think, like, you know, Jersey – um, you know, maybe Brooklyn or Jersey, like definitely Detroit because mm-hmm. Carolina was just in their locker room and you just knew that the NHL was going to follow suit. And that morning, I mean, we got the immediately don't show up at the morning skate. We'll find out a decision on this. And you just knew that they were going to suspend the season. Um, and I'm, and I was thinking like, holy crap, four days before we're in Anaheim and I'm guaranteeing, I'm like, you know, I'm basically like Googling what COVID-19 even is. That, <laughs> yep. I mean, that's a little exaggeration, but, but remember when we were in San Jose and we went to the Barracuda game, 
couple of days before, you know, there was that um, the Santa Clara Health Department yep. came out and said that we're recommending that the Minnesota Wild and San Jose Sharks don't play uh, yep. uh, ten, uh, tonight. It was because it was that day. That and was I, the first time. Yeah, I emailed somebody from the league. I said, hey, uh, this is being recommended by the public health department out here in San Jose. And he wrote me back in a second. He goes, well, we're not canceling the game. That was the first time where I think for us, that's where it really yeah. hit home. Was, okay. Yep. This, you know, because it, it was always, you know, when we, we get into the zone of when we're in, in hockey mode, you know, you might hear about the news and it's kind of just buzzing going on. But that's where it brought it full circle where it's like, oh, okay, this is actually real here. And I, even then, mm-hmm. less than a week, that was, I think, five days yeah. before the season shut really? down. It was, there was yeah. no way we could have imagined what was coming for us, you know, and not just I, us, but yeah. society five days later. And, you know, the Masters is shutting down yeah. and golf is shutting down and, you know, auto racing and soccer. I mean, everything shut down. It was insane. Yeah. I mean, uh, and remember, like, the league, what they were trying to do to react on the fly, the dumb, stupid keeping stuff. The, they were trying. Out of the, the best part room. was keeping the media out of the dressing room and having the players after the game come into the hallway where there's with, a thousand people. There's a thousand people that they don't even know. I remember we're interviewing, was it Jared Spurgeon or Fiala? Oh, it was Fiala. Fiala had this monster game in, in Anaheim where he scores the overtime winner, the mm-hmm. last goal of that season for the Wild. And they call, they pull Fiala out into to the hallway and we're interviewing him closer than we ever would have been in the locker room because we're we had to sandwich ourselves yep. up until Fiala's face Tiny because there are equipment guys going around with the stuff but the best one was Fiala being almost pushed by a you know essentially a, a janitor with a mop you know and like just and you know here's a guy in his sweats and it's like you couldn't have been less socially distanced yeah. and, and, and I'm just like this is insane and it was all for optics and the league just doing stuff on the fly with no medical advice and it was the just, early days of COVID the oh, wild, the wild crazy. west it of, really of was COVID. but remember the early days of COVID I, I still got like 5,000 gloves in my yep. uh, pantry over there because like remember you had to walk everywhere with gloves well you're still yeah. uh, you're still going through all the toilet paper here that you yeah, 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 I, have, I do have last a, March yeah, I do I have like thousand uh, uh, d- d- you know thousand we veered way off the track here but yeah we should we could do a podcast just about that whole week I know because I mean we were in California I remember and this will be the last thing I swear but we walked into the Honda Center for that last game and we walk in the doors and I look to the right and there's the Ottawa Senators bags just stacked all the way up to the ceiling and you think twice of it but they were kind of shadowing us up the west coast they were in san jose la anaheim the same time we were we were just kind of flipping around well a week after the whole league shuts down ottawa has a covid outbreak yep and colorado may have had one too but then you get to think it's like gosh we were just in all the same buildings we're just trading places with ottawa up and down the west coast i think their last last game was in san jose if i remember correctly Um, it was it was just crazy it's yeah. it's one of those things that well, i'm still convinced the wild and the blues got the mumps in, in anaheim because that's where remember that's where we were when uh when they all of a sudden both teams the first time had the mumps um they stayed at the same hotels mumps from anaheim and ottawa's getting covid from anaheim and mm-hmm. i'm sure it'll be really fun going to anaheim here to i start know that, yeah the ducks weren't very happy that i uh <laughs> i i hypothesized where uh, oh, you are a mumps. medical expert i am i am um so uh so 
it was good distraction to keep from talking about the third pair. <laughs> oh, no, come on. No. <laughs> um, so third pair is the concern of the team to me. Um, and, and look, I, you know, I, I talked to Billy Guerin today, actually, and, and Billy, you know, again, uh, poo-pooing the idea that this is a concern because I asked him point blank, like, are, you know, last year, you recognized very early on that you had a problem at 60 and you went out after game one the next day and mm-hmm. acquired Ian Cole. So, will you kind of same thing monitor that this year? And if all of a sudden you feel like uh, a Kulikov slash Merrill slash Ben third pair is not getting it done, would you go out and try to make that move? Um, you know, go out, acquire either a defenseman or buy time for Kalen Addison or call up, you know, we keep on hearing from Dean Evison that they feel they got, you know, 9, 10, 11 guys in the system that could play NHL games. So, you got four or five guys down in Iowa that you can that they think that they can play NHL games. The, the Mermises, the Lazats, the... Is Hicketts a D? Joe Hicketts, uh, yeah. Yep. Um, one, you know, of the nicest, one of the nicest guys in the world, um, by the way. Who am I forgetting, too? Right? Mermis, Addison, Hicketts, Lazat. There's one other D that uh, Dino is lumps in with those guys. Um, Sounds about right to me. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting beyond that, then it's yeah. getting awfully thin. But, but I, mean, I feel like there's somebody obvious that I'm not thinking of. Ultimately, but, um, you know, what what happened on the first day of free agency is is unfortunate because I think there was an interest on the wilds, and I'm not probably breaking any news here in, in bringing Ian Cole back. You know, you know, yeah. Billy's long I've loved Ian Cole, and uh, you know, I think Ian Cole would have loved to have been back, but just with what uh, what the Wild prioritized on that day. I bet you, if Nick Foligno said no two hours earlier, yep. Ian Cole would be on the Wild. Right uh, and I, I can't say I disagree. And that probably would change the entire look of the blue line because now you're you're putting that two million plus dollars into Ian Cole, and you know what does that do with Kulikov? It probably changes the arithmetic all the way around. And of course, you know Seattle taking Carson Soucy and the expansion draft was sort of out of the Wild's control there. So. Uh, I, I was impressed with Kulikov during the preseason and the exhibition season. And I had asked Dean about that last week. Uh, he showed a little bit more offensive punch than I was expecting mm-hmm. watching him. And we saw him get, because it was preseason, he was able to get a little bit of power play time where he was able to show some of that offensive skill. Now, I don't think he's going to be playing much power play this year, but at least you know he has it. The, the real question is going to be, you know, What's next to Kulikov and whether it's John Merrill, whether it's Jordy Ben, I swear I'm going to say Jamie Ben like 20 times this year um, or Kalen Addison down the line. That's going to be, I think, the big thing for the wild. And the good news is they have a couple guys back there in Merrill and Ben. If one guy's playing well, you can just sort of ride the hot hand. Uh, if one guy's struggling, you can maybe take them out of the mm-hmm. lineup. Or if they're both playing well, then you have a nice competition there between vets and two guys that are sort of used to being in that position. So I don't think there's going to be any hurt feelings if a guy's, you know, in an extended stretch where he's the seventh D-man. And I think Kalen Addison, Kalen Addison, I was really impressed with uh, some of the work he did in the exhibition season. Got a taste last year. You, you have to think he's going to go down to Iowa and have a really good start with the amount of minutes and the situations he's going to be playing in. So uh, he's competition is good. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what is going to drive this whole thing is that guys are going to have to be motivated to play. Yeah. And uh, if everyone's healthy, you know, there, there's veteran guys, there's experienced guys back there, but there's no doubt uh, a guy like Jordy Ben, you know, struggled the last couple of games of the preseason. He's going to have to be better. 
But, I mean, he's a veteran. I mean, I need to see it in the regular season yeah. first before I'm going to really get too concerned about how a guy, especially a guy with 500 games in the league, played uh, yeah. in a couple of late exhibition yeah. games. I, I think that if it's true that Billy, like Rossi and Beckman, wants Addison to play down there for a while just based on his age, although, again, Addison is older and has more professional hockey experience, um, you know, I think that the only real – remedy if these guys struggle would be a trade and and it'll be just interesting because the other guy by the way as kevin kuzman was the one i was thinking of he's only played 15 NHL game churchman churchman okay another so, one of the nicest guys in the world and i think a big so, part of this too with that by the way is 15 nhl games too since 2013 14 one so of the he's big not things exactly with addison too is you know that timeline might get expedited if the wild power play comes out and looks like it did last season and Dean Evison's looking for some sort of spark on the back end. Mm-hmm. He may have no choice if Addison's down in Iowa playing well. You know, maybe that's the first switch you try and make. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. I, ultimately, the best thing yeah. for Addison is to play big minutes down yeah. in Iowa and let him kind of mature down there. Yeah. And the power play, I will say, like if, if the number one unit for some reason is in a blip to me, you throw a dumb ball in there, put Spurgeon on with with on the second unit. You got Brodeen, you got Goligoski. I mean, right now it's going to be interesting. Yeah, there's because, a lot of options. Yeah. And right now, one of Goligoski or Brodeen is not going to be on the power play or they're going to be rotating every game. Well, Goligoski's mm-hmm. been a staple on power plays in yeah, Arizona and that's Dallas. Why for me, years like years. still Brodeen might be the guy that gets kind of the short shrift, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, anything else that we uh, we haven't gotten to yet? Um, you want to talk about our weight loss? How skinny not really. we both are? You're, you look skinnier <laughs> than me. I still look, I look no. like... You do. You look I've at you. man boobs still. Di- we're working different, on that. You're, different, uh, you're a different human being than you were uh, last time we did a podcast. I feel like a different human. We're all... You know, the last time we did a podcast going back to the pandemic was from California. Yeah. I think have we're we all, really, we're all different we, human beings since you know then. We, have we talked about Duhim? I don't think we really we haven't. haven't. Yeah, I, like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for the kid. First of all, he's from Florida. Yeah, most of important course. thing. Um, but no, look, I, look, it's very clear that they came into camp expecting him to make the team because he was the guy for four straight days that was on that Sturm Bukestead line to start training camp. Yep. Remember the other guys that got looks there, it was like one practice and they were off. One practice and they were off. This guy, and he, they always went back to it, um, but he could fly. And this is what I have, I mean, I've been a broken record almost begging the wild for years. Like, why are you always going out and signing, you know, third and fourth liners to three-year deals at two, two and a half million when you can, this is where you can elevate guys and promote guys and throw guys a bone. This is what Iowa is supposed to be for. It doesn't always have to be for the top, top prospects like Boldy Beckman and Rossi. You know, the goal is to get the Bittens here, the Jurus here, the Doers here, the, you know, the Mason Shaws here. And here Duhame comes. He, and, and what I liked what Billy Guerin said the other day is that there's, you know, Duhame might have, there's certain guys that just, you, you've in the AHL, you're going to hit that peak of what you could be as an AHL player, where guys sometimes come to the NHL are much better players at this level than they are down there. And Duhame really could be that one. Like, they should not just pigeonhole him as being a fourth line left wing he is somebody that can clearly he's got the speed the physicality and the hands to play up in the lineup so i really think that we're going to be talking about brandon Duhim being an impactful player over time in this or in this lineup well and the size too i mean yeah. he's you know you talk about his speed he's probably one of the two or three fastest guys on this team straight line speed mm-hmm. and he's not you know kevin fiala would be in that mix but kevin fiala is what 510 brandon Duhim's. 61210. I mean, he's he's got good size. I know, you know, Billy loves him. Uh someone who showed off some of that offensive skill too was it in the uh, the Blues game. 
yeah. came flying down the the left wing and you know picked a corner and uh, I couldn't have been more impressed with what I saw from him and I'm not really surprised because I remember talking to Chuck Fletcher two GMs ago uh, for a prospect story I was doing and his name came up and Chuck loved him and this is the exact sort of role that he saw Duhame one day fitting into was sort of the third fourth line you know, speedy left wing finishes his checks, kills penalties, does all this stuff. Um, I know Paul Fenton really liked him. I know Billy loves him. I mean, you get three different sets of eyes that come in here and say the exact same thing about a guy. At some point you have to, you know, believe it. And we've seen it really for the first time this year throughout camp and practice. Uh, couldn't have been more impressed with just the way he plays. And a guy, by the way, too, not afraid to drop the mitts. We saw mm-hmm. him have two fights. And I know talking to, uh, Joe O'Donnell, uh, who's watched in the last two years in Iowa, a guy that's not a shrinking violet when it comes mm-hmm. to defending teammates. He's been stepping up and defending Marcus Foligno. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see what this kid can do. It's another one of these options that we've talked about that you start him on the fourth line, but you can move him up. He's got a little bit of skill. He's got speed. He's got size. He does a little bit of everything and a guy who I think is going to carve out a nice role. And we've talked, too, about, you know, in the next two or three years, how much we need, uh, you know, or the wild needs guys like Boldy and Beckman and Rossi. They're also going to need guys like Duhame mm-hmm. and Dewar and Drew uh, and Bitten. These guys to fill these third and fourth line roles. If you can do that, it's going to create more flexibility and more opportunity to spend some of that money uh, at the places where you really, really need it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's going to be interesting to see how good he is. Impactful. I like that. It seems like he has a good head on his shoulders as well. Like very mature. Yeah, he's, like, like he's a rookie. Yeah. But he's about 24, yeah, like 25 when, years old. When I mean, he sat in front of us in that presser. After making the team, there was not somebody that thought the that uh, that looked like a guy that felt like the journey was over. Right? He mm-hmm. he made it very clear. Like I'm, I know I could be in Iowa tomorrow. Like like it, he was not taking it for granted. He just wants to keep on moving forward. Um, and a great story. I mean, this is a guy that. That I mean, it's from South Florida, right? I mean, his but best friend is Jacob Chickren. Chickren sent me a good guy. Then. So Ch- Chickren sent me a photo yesterday after my story ran um, that I'll eventually use. Uh, but it's this awesome photo from 2003. Where so 2003? Let me do some quick math. How when was he born? Do him uh, and Chickren. 24. Yep. So, so that's that seven, 97 yeah, or so. 18 years ago. Um, no, was it 2003? That can't be. Um, 2003 was a great year. It's the year yeah. I graduated from high school. Um, I don't think that. So, no, 97. So, 2003. I guess that could be six in this picture. I'll show you the picture after and you could tell me if this looks like a <laughs> six-year-old. Yeah, I guess these guys are six. Definitely. All right. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were older in this picture. But they're holding these trophies at Incredible Ice where I uh, used to cover the Panthers. They were a practice facility down there. And second from the left is a uh, little blonde-headed Jacob Chikrin. Uh, second who has from the, turned into an incredible yeah. player, by the way. And second from the left, wait till Brandon Duhame. I'm sure he's seen this picture, but second from the left on the back is Brandon Duhame, and he is tiny, and he's just holding this picture. Uh, it's pretty pretty cool. Far left in the photo, uh, Trevor Duhame, coach mm-hmm. Trevor Duhame, Brandon's dad. Far right of the photo, photo Jeff Chikrin, coach Chikrin. Jacob Chickren's dad. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I mean, enjoyed pretty, your story that you wrote on Duhame a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So this will uh, be a cool story to write it's, eventually. It's always fun to 
cheer for these guys, you know, from afar that come from sort of these unusual backgrounds. And as you know, you know, you covered hockey in the state of Florida back in the 90s. How far a state like that has come and how far, you know, states like California and we see Austin Matthews, you know, coming from Arizona. Uh, it's only going to make the sport better. And, you know, Jason Zucker coming from Nevada. It, it's it's only going to make this sport better, you know, as we kind of diversify and see these guys coming in. And, and each one of these guys has a, a really cool story. And I, I'm partial to a guy like Brandon Duhame because he's a college player. And I, I love watching these guys come up uh, and have the success. But a guy who's mature, 24 years old, yeah. rookie, uh, two years of pro experience, uh, he'll be a fun one to watch develop no over the uh, course of the season. So here's a quote from Jacob Chirkin. He goes, I'm super happy to see Dewey made the wild. Um, he goes, uh, to see his hard work pay off is really special. He's so deserving and earned this opportunity to play in the NHL. I'm really proud of him. Pretty good pretty good comment from Jacob Chikrin, who's going to be a superstar defenseman in the you league. Know, one of the things that I think the league... I don't know how much time you want this to go, uh, but one of the things that I'm starting to see with the league is a guy like Brandon Duhame. You know, he wasn't a top six guy when he was at Providence College. Now he had that ability, yeah. but he was playing in a third line role. And I, the reason I bring this up is because uh, the team I follow closely, Minnesota State, uh, had a guy named Walker Dewar last year who played fourth line. He was a fourth liner at Minnesota State. He's a very good fourth liner. And he signed with Calgary, and he was in Calgary's camp until very, very late. And it's it's interesting to see. We talk about these guys, you know, Ryan Carter being a perfect example of a guy who had to adapt his game from how he was a scorer in college and a skilled guy in college to having to carve out a fourth-line role just to stick in the mm-hmm. league. And you see guys like Brandon Duhame or Walker Dewar uh, who played these roles already in college. And that transition, I think, is – a lot easier when you've done it for three or four years in college and now you just keep kind of that same mentality uh, going to the pro game. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that in, in years to come where, you know, some of these franchises start looking at some of these third or fourth line yeah. guys in college, but yeah. they have particular skill sets with Walker Dewar and with Brandon Duhame. It's their speed size combination, their ability to kill penalties to see if they'll get maybe more opportunity uh, to play professional hockey here in North America than maybe we would have seen collegiate third or fourth liners a decade ago get. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good valid point. And because, you know, the one thing about uh, NHL players is that if you reach this level, you scored somewhere, right? Yep. I mean, Stefan Veilloux was 115-point scorer Correct. at Valdor. But he had to adapt his and game he had to, to And he wound up having a really successful career. And, um, you know, now we're starting to see more guys. That, I mean, Brandon Duham didn't even kill in college, which is just crazy mm-hmm. to me. Um, the guy that, has, s- that did, by the way, if you look at his statistical numbers, everywhere he's gone, he's gotten better every single year, yeah. which I, I think yeah. is another thing to look at, too, with his yeah. development going forward. He's gotten better everywhere he's gone, and he's he's going to continue to develop yeah. here, I think. Yeah, and it'll be interesting, like a guy like Rem Pitlick, who's scored everywhere he's been, can he bring that to the NHL level in the role, or will he have to actually adapt, or does he have the body to adapt? Like, you can't ask him to play. And some of know? these guys, it's, yeah. do you have the desire yeah. to adapt? I mean, let's be honest. There's ego there. Yeah. You know, if you if you're a guy that scored 25 yeah. goals in college or, you know, scored 100 points in juniors, do you want to have to, you know, be a guy that has to, you know, kill penalties or drop the mitts or, you know, play 8 minutes yeah. a night, you know, it, it's it's not easy to do and that's why I think we're going to see more guys that come from that background uh, that aren't going to have to change or adapt their games much, but they have a certain skill set. 
uh, we're going to see those guys, I think, more opportunities in the future. That makes sense. So, so with the Olympic teams coming up, you know, sometimes we always say, are right, you going to have these fourth liners that are actually superstars and superstars in the league? Maybe it actually is smarter to put a Ryan Hartman on the fourth yep. line in the Olympics rather than, you know, like a, you know, a star you know, player on another team, but he has no chance of playing in that top three role. So you got to put him in there, you know, well, how much did the, you just look at that game last night, lightning penguins, the season opener, how much did they talk about? I think John Cooper, you know, has talked about this too, is how much they missed that third yeah. line as good as that Tampa team is. That's a they huge lost line. their entire third line. Yeah. And you look at championship teams from the past several years, almost, you know, to a man, these teams have a third or fourth line identity that is strong. Uh, you know, guys that play out their entry level contracts on the cheap and then they end up going somewhere and getting a bigger role elsewhere. Brandon Duhame can be that kind of guy, I think. Uh, someone who can really carve out, uh, you know, kind of that third or fourth line niche, be someone who's really hard to play against. And if Minnesota can cultivate a couple of those guys now over the next couple of years, they could have, uh, you know, similar success in terms of having that kind of heart and soul third or fourth line that kills penalties, uh, you know, that are, are staples on Stanley Cup winning teams nowadays. Right. You have to with the salary cap. There's no, no choice. Well, Dan, uh, thanks for coming over and doing this. Uh, this podcast, I feel bad. I absolutely forgot that I asked tw- for Twitter questions, and uh, and maybe I'll use some of those Twitter questions in my other podcast. And I <laughs> completely forgot to go through Twitter and ask you a bunch of these. But ask, uh, pick one right now. Let's do um, one. So, well, here's one that uh, that you and I have discussed. That as the first one I saw, any chance the Wild go after Carson Soucy with him not playing in Seattle? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. They have the cap space, uh, but it's one game. Yeah, like, they're trying to figure out their blue line. Susie, if you dig into Susie's numbers last year, he had an unbelievable year. So good, and, and uh, that was a that was a you can't tell me underrated that, loss. Yeah, you can't tell me that Susie is not one of the top six defensemen. It's amazing Seattle. to think about the guys, and I know plus minus is a flawed statistic, especially over a game or two. But when you look at it over a fifty-six game sample mm-hmm. size, it pretty much evens out. The Wild's third pair last year led this team in plus minus. It's it's almost mm-hmm. unheard of. It's is it not? Yeah. I mean, it. you know, they're very rarely yeah. do you see those guys, you know, you know, a good third pair. Usually you might get like plus five, plus six. These guys were like plus 22 yeah. in a 56 game season. They were really good. Um, and it, it's going to be hard to replace. That's another thing, too. Mm-hmm. When you talk about that third pair, they're stepping into some pretty big skates. But I'm with you that Seattle's going to mix and match on that blue line. They have so many different guys back there. It's going to be a strength of that team. He's going to get a shot there eventually. And I wouldn't be surprised one bit if, you know, once he gets into the lineup, he doesn't come back out. Uh, Daniel asks who gets the first call up this season and why. If it's up front, I bet Beckman. I agree. I, I think he earned it in training camp. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think Goldie um, would have been in that position had he not been uh, not been unfortunately injured. But yeah, I, by the way, I think they, I think the Wild caught a break. I think Matt Boldy caught a break too. That looked ugly. That could have been some sort of high ankle sprain that could have lingered all year. Yeah, long. they thought it was going to be bad. Um, hmm. Anything else good? Yeah, there's a bunch of them, but there's so many, and it's hard. Well, you know, maybe the way, next the time. way Twitter is now too, you can't. Well, and you're so popular on Twitter. That well, no, but they like things just aren't like, you know, the whole show more stuff and they sort of are out of order now. I don't get like the new update on Twitter. Well, yeah, now you can use them all for your next meaty mailbag. This was a good podcast, Dan Myers. Uh, enjoy your flight on the team charter. Uh, and you to enjoy Anaheim yours tomorrow. as well. 
be nice to get in the uh, Southern California sun. It will be. It will be. Maybe I'll see you in Newport Beach tomorrow night. We'll see. Probably. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for everybody for listening to Straight from the Source. And let's take uh, one more quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lots of podcasts this week on The Athletic. Bill Daly, the Deputy Commissioner of the NHL, is with uh, Craig Custance and Sean Gentile this week on The Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports and Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian have the debut episode of The Athletic Hockey Show Wednesday this week at The Athletic. And thanks for listening to Straight from the Source. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a rating and review. Subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network, start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents per month after that. And right now, all annual subscriptions to The Athletic are 50% off when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.